everyone. You're watching We Heart Therapy, the special series EFT Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Annabelle Bugatti, licensed marriage and family therapist and certified EFT therapist and soon to be certified EFT supervisor. And we're broadcasting live from Las Vegas, Nevada. And you probably recognize one of my favorite guests that we have on our show today. We have Michael Moran. He is one of our EFT supervisors. He's certified EFT therapist therapist and supervisor. He's also an ASEC certified sex therapist and soon to be ASEC certified sex therapist supervisor. So those of you guys training in sex therapy, he's your guy. And we love it even more because he's an EFT -er. And he is an LCSW. He has a private practice in New York City. And he co-facilitates trainings with our other EFT trainers, Zoya Semohotskaya, they co-facilitate Sex is a Safe Adventure, which is a really awesome training. If you guys haven't taken it, I really urge you to do that. We'll talk about that more at the end of the episode. But what we're going to talk about today, guys, is how to work with when you have couples where one person is completely shut down around sex and sexuality and we're kind of talking almost like withdrawal re-engagement, but around sex. Um, maybe emotionally they're engaged, but they're just really shut down. And they're saying like, you know, just sex isn't on my radar. I, you know, it's not really important. And, and so we're going to talk about that today. So welcome back, Michael. I, I just appreciate you being on our show again. We love having you. Thank you, Annabelle. I always enjoy doing these with you. Thanks. So let's talk about this. So I, now I know this isn't like a hundred percent trend across the board, but I have noticed a particular trend, especially in my clients that have come from religious households and more particularly, I've only, I, I'm only going to speak from my personal experience, but I've experienced this more with women who mm -hmm. grew up in religious households and some that haven't, but mm -hmm. I've noticed a lot of them having just, a lot of shutdown around sex and they sex is just for reproduction and so there's like no sex life and then you have the the emotional withdrawal in their regular cycle starts protesting the lack of sex and the women are like well i'm just not sexual it's just not important and so trying to help explain why this is important or you know even viewing their partner through the erotic lens. I mean, it just, it can get to be a lot. So can you sort of start us off with helping us understand a little bit more about totally shut down sex and sexuality? Sure. Yeah, it's, it's pretty common. Um, I work with it a lot. I, I probably get more of these cases than, you know, the, the average EFT therapist because I'm a sex therapist. So folks, you know, come to me with this stuff, but it's, um, you know, what we call hypo, you know, hyposexual, low desire. Um, it's, it can be very challenging, but it can also be very gratifying to work with folks where they are, you know, they come in with this story that they tell themselves that um, they're just not sexual. And so, you know, firstly, I really join with them. Usually their partner is dragging them in, right? Because they would, they would, you know, never land in my office because their, you know, their story, the story they tell themselves, their narrative is, you know, I'm just not sexual. Sex is not that important to me. Well, you know, kind of what's your problem, you know, and their partner is suffering. Their partner is suffering because, you know, obviously sex is important to them. And so the first thing I do is I normalize all of it, right? I normalize all of it. Um, I always, you know, there are always good reasons why people, you know, have the experience that they do. So just like in, you know, relational EFT, I, I validate it and really learn about what's going on there for them. You know, is this something that has, you know, you know, was sex never on their radar? Is the concept of gratifying sexual connection just, you know, they, they can't really understand it? Um, you know, many people 
just, you know, the way they grew up, this is where we get into the myths about sex and, um, you know, all the, the messages that we receive. And, you know, often partners come together and they have very, very, very different uh, pasts around, you know, what sex is supposed to be. And, you know, for many folks, you mentioned religion, you know, and that can be a big one. And until we join them in that place, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to just give that up. That's something most likely, that's something that has been with them a long time. You know, you mentioned sex is procreation, right? You can appreciate someone who has gotten that message that sex is primarily about procreation. Why would they be, you know, coming to their partner from this, you know, from a place of, you know, let's, let's have more gratifying sex. They'll have sex to have children. And then, you know, it's, it's off the radar. So kind of pause when there, because this is really important. And this is something I've come across a lot. And, and I know religion is one way that a lot of shame based messages around sex and gratifying sex and sex for pleasure are kind of I found have been birthed um and so and I find with a lot of people you know if their message was sex was about procreation then unless we're making a baby we're not having sex and in their eyes they think their partner is sex crazed because they just want it all the time which really isn't the case you know and it's the other apologize or what have you yeah. yeah, and the other partner's like, it's just not important. And I think one of the dangers that I found about those messages is that people have learned, especially, you know, I talking more about women, because I, I find this a lot with women, is that they've not learned about their bonding track and their sex track have run separately. So they've never learned that sex can be about bonding or a way to express love and connection. So when they feel safe, and, and I've actually also seen a lot of women, because you hear the men say, well, when we first got married, you were willing to have sex with me all the time. And I've had some feedback where, where ladies have told me, well, you know, we just kind of use it as a way to solidify the relationship because we know that we've been taught men really like sex. And then as soon as they feel safe and secure, it's like, well, I don't feel the need to have sex anymore. It's not in their drive the same way it is in other people. And they don't, it doesn't pop on their radar as like, oh, I'd really like to have sex or I'd really like to have some fulfillment with my spouse today. You know, it just, it's like, I'm happy. I've got all my emotional attachment needs met. Right. But what, what do I even need sex for if I'm not having a baby? And that's so hard to work with, I think, in session. It's just one of the most challenging sexual scripts I've come across. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, if, they're, if, if the story they tell themselves is sex is just about a certain thing and it's not about pleasure, but their partner right? I love the term you use, bonding sex, right? But their partner is coming in and saying, look, this is one of the primary ways that I bond with you, right? This is one of the primary ways that I experience connection with you. That's very different than, you know, the pressure coming on of, you know, um, we, we, we need to have sex. We need to have sex. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? What's your problem? This is, this is normal. That's very different. That's a very different message than this is how, this is one of the ways that I feel really close to you. Yeah. And you know, something about that's really important too. I think of how we work with this in stage one versus stage two is stage one, like you just said, we would put that pressure as some of the reactive moves in the cycle in mm-hmm. stage two, we it's, it is like a form of withdrawal re-engagement, right? And mm-hmm. helping them to, you know, because a lot of times I find, again, if they're feeling connected, they don't really see their partner's 
desire for sex as important and they can be very dismissive and it's like even though their partner may say this helps me bond with you they're like well you know we can bond in other ways we, we don't need to have sex like that's just not important right and is dismissive yes we dismiss right because they're disconnected from themselves in this way and often that's where we have to get in there right just like we do with good eft we get in there and understand the good reasons why they can't hear that their, their partner is wanting this from a place of more connection or their partner is wanting this because they you know sex is lifeblood for them for many people for some people, sex is lifeblood. For other people, it's peripheral. But if you have a, a couple where there's a differential there, you're going to have to figure out, you're going to have to find that sweet spot where they can come together and, and meet themselves. And remember, you know, people, this is where I feel EFT is so, um, so helpful when unpacking sex in long-term committed relationships with people we love, right? That's what I special in. That's what I, I love to do. I love to help people who love each other find that place where sex is, you know, gratifying that does create more connection, more connection emotionally, more connection relationally, right? It's, I think of it as sort of a, you know, in, with this work of relational sex, I really see it as um, we're helping people. I even think there's a spiritual component to this, you know, because if people are more connected, if it, if it creates more connection, then, you know, great. But people won't be vulnerable. People won't, won't let their guard down. People won't let go of these messages and these stories that they tell themselves about who who they are and what sex mean to them. They're not going to, they're not going to let you in or their partner in if they don't expect an empathic response, right? They're going to, their body is going to keep coming up with the good reasons why, what is the big deal? You know, so we meet them there, we validate, and then we get underneath it. We get underneath it. And that's why just like with, with our assessment in, in, you know, relational work, we do individual sessions. I always do individual sessions and I learn about, I join with them as to what, what's the block? What, what is, what is, you know, help me understand the good reasons why I notice how, you know, in that first session where you guys came in, I noticed with your partner coming forward with this and sharing about he or she, how they're, you know, how they, they want more gratifying connection. And I, I know there are good reasons why you keep batting it down. Help me learn about that. Let's, let's join, let me, let me into that place and let's learn together. Right. And from that place, then we start to drop down into the underbelly, right? I really like how you say, help me understand those good reasons, which can be very disarming to people who are expecting a therapist to tell them why their reasons are wrong. So to have you say, I bet you have some good reasons and help me learn about those reasons would just be so empathic and, and help that person like, oh, okay, maybe it might be safe. But let's talk about how to go underneath that block. So. Because I think that's where a lot of us get stuck is when the person says, well, I just don't see what the big deal is. Um, you know, we, we touch, we hug, we kiss, we hold hands, but I'm not, I don't see a need for it to go further than that. And, and maybe I did get that message that sex was for procreation. Since we're not making a kid, then what, why, does it, why does it need to go that way? You know? <laughs> this is this is great. I love how you're just zooming in right on the, you know, right on that that place where it's you know so challenging. Ultimately, we have to help them see that their partner is not them, and their partner wants to have more gratifying connection with them sexually. And if it's a problem for one, it's a problem for both. And like, so, right to be like a content issue in that way and i'm thinking you know as you say this drop you know dropping this into the cycle of course because we're doing this in eft so i'm thinking like you know what comes up for you when your partner says i want to have sex tonight or i want to be close to you or you know 
you're you're fine with that physical touch holding hands and having a kiss or a hug or holding each other but what happens when your partner wants to go further when they want to move their hands into a more delicate area you know like really honing in on their physiological cues that says no i, I don't think so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's where we have to back up right because if their partner is is organized in such a way that it's very easy for them to move toward their partner sexually right if one partner is organized where it's very easy it's very fluid to begin to see their domestic person their person right the person they move through time with the person you know the mother or the father of their children if it's very easy for them, if, if, if there's fluidity there where they can begin to see their domestic partner through the erotic lens, but how about their partner? How about if their partner is organized very differently and they haven't learned about that, right? right? They haven't talked about that. They haven't been vulnerable about that. Then how is this person supposed to just snap their fingers and allow their, their, their body, allow, you know, allow their erotic energy to come alive. Of course, there's going to be a hard stop there. And that's so much of what we're doing. And I think, you know, as EFT therapists, it's like, we're, we're really, we're, we're, we're so equipped to go into that place. Mm -hmm. Well, you know? I think, you know, the erotic lens, I like that. If you haven't really learn to view your partner through the erotic lens right in more than just a procreative kind of way but a like a way where you can look at your partner and allow yourself to get aroused or excited or filled with desire right and i think one of the ways um that we would track that is just kind of like we would with the emotional cycle. What comes up for you when this happens, right? It doesn't even always have to be like an overt pass, like, hey, let's have sex. And, and maybe it is, and we could process that. What comes up for you when your partner says this? Tell me about the part that says, no, I don't think so. This, this isn't a big deal, right? Just like we would if it was their emotions, right? If their partner's saying, I wanna have this fulfilling conversation with you. And their partner's like, no, I don't see why you want me to be involved. <laughs> conversation. It's kind of the same thing, right? Just different. <laughs> In many ways it is. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of a couple I'm working with right now where this is, you know, I want to give this example because it's, it's so appropriate with what you're describing. What we're learning, you know, this is, uh, they're both, you know, they're, they're a lovely couple. They're, they both really take impeccable care of themselves. She's very, very beautiful. And what we're learning is that in order for her to begin to, to turn toward that energy, right? She needs a lot of, you look so beautiful tonight. You look amazing in that dress. Very specific, you know, very specific um, messages that allow her to drop into her body and start to feel that energy. But they're, they're pretty specific. It isn't like, oh, you look nice tonight, honey. That doesn't do it. That I, doesn't do it. The other partner, as you're saying this, I can imagine the other partner coming up, at least even for my couples, like, oh, so if I don't say it in exactly the way you want me to say it, then that means no sex, <laughs> right? Um, it's frustrating. Right. And then they go into this place where they're failing, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. So... I like that. And really, you know, I think that's part of why we talk about where we talk about sex in stage two, even though we may map it as their reactive cycle in stage one, but stage two, you know, being able to um, turn towards that energy, right, would and what they need, right? So those needs would be step five, six, and seven, right? That's and, right. Asking and bonding in this case would be in a sexual way that we're bonding, but in order to access needs, we have to get into stage two, right? So this is a lot of why we deal with sex in, in the deeper ways in stage two. We can get to that person down to what the blocks that come up for you, view of self, view of others, you know, maybe I worry that that I'm fundamentally unattractive to my partner because I've struggled with self-esteem. You know, the part of you that emotionally says, I don't know that I'm really loved, mm -hmm. maybe 
in that sexual way and say, well, if I don't know that I'm really loved, how can I trust that you see me as attractive? Um, but also really, if we're talking about somebody who's never really looked at their partner in the erotic lens, just like we would with emotional withdrawers who have never thought about opening up their emotional world to their partner and letting them into that. I see the parallels here, right? So it's like withdrawal re-engagement around sex. What would it be like to allow yourself to go into that place and see yourself as a sexual person and see your partner in this way? It's a big part of it. You know, if you don't see yourself as a sexual person, how are you going to allow your body to go there with this person you love? You're bringing up so many great points there. You know, the way we work with sex in stage one is, is different than, than in stage two, right? The helicopter comes down and goes back up in stage one. The helicopter lands in stage and, and lands and stays in stage two. That said, sometimes folks think, I mean, I, we, we've bumped up against this a lot as we're training therapists. Some folks think that you can't work with sex in stage one. It's not true. And, you know, we have tapes where a couple comes in around this issue that this is, this is one of the main blocks. You have to work with it in stage, in stage one, right? It's, it's, it's not an option. Yes. It's easier to work with it. It, it, there's more fluidity in stage two with it. And yes, you're, you're doing those, those steps of five, six, and seven to really restructure the relationship. But oftentimes we have to, we have to bring in sex in stage one. And that's where we start to map out their sexual cycle. There's the relational cycle, right? There's the sexual cycle and they're inextricably linked. They're different systems, but they're inextricably linked. And we start mapping that out. So let me, so let's put this into the model for stage one versus stage two. So part of what I've learned about stage one is we're working on emotional presence, right? With a lot of reactivity, whether that person's reactivity is getting really escalated and fighting and protesting, it's hard for them to be present with their own emotions or their partner's emotions or the person who's retreating into their cave you know, and avoiding the conflict and avoiding the conversation, they're also not being present. So with the de-escalation process, it's a lot to do with emotional presence. So you'd be mapping, you know, who is the first person who, and, and I love something, I think it was Scott Woolley, one of our other EFT trainers who once said that the cycle starts, maybe it's Becca, who said the cycle starts with somebody being vulnerable. So it could be one person in terms of sex, recognizing their desire, their longing to turn to their partner. And, but then they're like checking kind of like they would emotionally. Like if I, you know, was a, a anxious pursuer emotionally and I might really want to talk to my partner or have them be close and I'm sensing they're not available, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm looking for their cue. So we're tracking these moves. Like, what do you do mm -hmm. when you notice that desire? How do you move towards your partner, ask for them or study their moves and anticipate whether or not they'll be available. And then, mm -hmm. you know, when your partner does turn away, do you protest or, you know, or, or the withdrawing partner? This part of you, something happens when your partner moves towards you and says, I want to have sex. What do you tell yourself? You know, the perceptions, what happens in your body. It says, uh-oh, danger, got to go away. You know, mm -hmm. just like we would exactly the same as the emotional process. But in this, like you said, we would put sex as a content issue. But That's we want to help, I guess, and jump in and tell me, you know, at the end of stage one, when it comes to sex, would at least be helping each other be more present with, okay, there's this, this elephant in the room that we need to deal with. And if I turn away, it increases my partner's anxiety. If I get really anxious and, and sort of pursue my, my partner, that creates anxiety for them and they shut down. And then we can't stay in this conversation about sex mm -hmm. and talk about that more. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I think you're really zooming into the, to the, uh, one of the main components of working with folks around sex. Look, remember, the more we protect ourselves, the more distance we create. So as we're working toward de-escalation where, with sex, 
because they come in with this reactive cycle around that they can't even talk with talk to the talk with themselves talk with each other about uh, what's really going on there as we start to map it out and give them a felt sense of the good reasons why they get stuck things start to calm down often folks are coming in really pathologizing the other partner and then there's a lot of reactivity and remember just because you're pers this is something that i'm i'm seeing a lot of you know we're always evolving we're always learning just like in you know if in eft and remember just because someone is pursuing for sex does not mean that they're really available that they're really coming forward with what's going on underneath that, right? Important. Let's stop there. This, this is super, super important. I love that you're bringing this up. Thank you. This is one of the things I've learned that there's a difference between a pursuer and a withdrawer versus avoidance or not. Because I've had people show up, present in the cycle as a pursuer, but emotionally they couldn't be more avoidant, right? Everything they were pursuing right. on the surface, but That's as soon right. as you get to anything vulnerable or deep, pew, they, they ricochet exactly. out of them. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And many withdrawers are organized to, you know, self-soothe with sex, but it doesn't mean that they're really emotionally available. And so that's all well and good in the realm of casual and anonymous sex doesn't, you know, so what? But as soon as the, the stakes get high with someone we love, bang, there's the block. Right. Yeah. So you have to slow all that down and help the withdrawing part, the, the, the partner that's pursuing pursuing for sex, but is really, you know, the, uh, the withdrawer in, in the relationship. I just thought of something as you were, you mentioned casual and anonymous sex, and I heard a client's voice in my head that said, yeah, but when I was having casual and anonymous sex, I felt like I could be more open and adventurous. And exactly. <laughs> That's exactly and right. Yeah. They're taking like openness and adventurousness with with vulnerability, I think, because when it's with a stranger or anonymous or just casual sex, you, you're not expecting to see them again. So you can- There is no vulnerability. Of, right, so you can kind of detach from that process of being open and adventurous, and it, it's not so scary because you're not expecting to look them in the face again, right? But That's if it's exactly your- Exactly right. That's exactly right. To have them like really see you in this place because sex is extremely vulnerable and so to have them really see you and then see you again the next day <laughs> you know it's like oh i, I don't know and if i feel comfortable with them seeing me that way that's right and start attaching right start really creating attachment where they're really letting their partner in that's often when sex goes offline i've worked with with avoidant and anxious folks people where men and women, where, you know, when that part of them, when they start really connecting with their partner, you think, you think, why would that be? But I've worked with many people that, you know, when, when the attachment does occur and this person, you know, is really important to you, that's often when, you know, their willingness window, we talk about the willingness to become sexual. That's when things start to reorganize. They're, they're a block, that's when the barrier starts to occur. And that's where we come in to help them really understand the good reasons why that's occurring. Yeah, your partner is so important to you that now your body's shutting down. I remember working with this, with this guy. It's, uh, it's like one of those sessions, you know, we have those sessions that you'll, you know, they just get like, they get lodged into your, uh, into your brain and your nervous system where you'll, you'll never forget this guy. I remember him talking about how the sex was awesome. The sex was great. We were having such a great time. And then I realized I was falling in love with her. And that's when his, his erectile dysfunction came on, came online. And then he started, then that's often, you know, a freight train because then the body starts to betray you. And then you start worrying about the body betraying you. And then the, the more you worry, the more, right? As for the vast majority of us, we talk about this all the time as, a, as our anxiety increases, our sexual response recedes. And then he starts freaking out because he had never experienced erectile dysfunction before. 
I've actually. This was also the first time that he was in a, uh, he was, you know, that he fell in love. And this guy was like in his late twenties. So it's really interesting. That makes sense. And you know, something else Ping, that you said that is I was thinking that there's actually, now that you brought that up, two ways that the body can betray you. It's when you don't want your body to respond and it does, because maybe you're in like a traumatizing situation or like sexual abuse situation, or you want your body to respond and it doesn't. <laughs> right. That's right. Stakes are high. That's right. And yeah. both create elements of shame and anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. Which are both hijack that sexual desire and your body's ability to respond. That's right. And now if we go back to your original, you know, inquiry where you talked about, you know, women who, you know, who are religious and they come with this sort of narrative, which is the top, right? This cognitive narrative around sex is procreation. But often as you slow things down, you'll learn their body never really learned to respond and they feel ashamed about it, but they can't talk about it. They can't talk about it with their partner. They can't let their partner in to that inner world where they have shame about what's wrong with me, right? And so your job is to create a safe space for them to come forward. That's why, you know, Emily Nagoski's work is so important for these, especially for these women who are shut down sexually, to learn to shift from, you know, that this narrative that, you know, what's wrong with me to what we talk about, pleasure is the measure. Right? How about coming forward with your partner from a place of, can we learn together where, where pleasure is for me? But they're, they're kind of, they're buried under this feeling of like, you know, there's some, I'm, I'm broken, there's something wrong with me. And so what do we do when we're not, we're not able to feel vulnerable in our relationship? We go up to the top and we create a story like, what's wrong with you? You're sick. You know, sex is about procreation, you know, all the different things. But underneath that is often a sense of, of, of brokenness or, you know, shame about what's really going on. But they are often not even aware of that themselves. Right. You know, they're very peripherally aware. They haven't really explored that. And that's why our book, I think, with sex is so sacred. Because often, when are we more vulnerable around sex? Right, right. So what I hear you say, Michael, is that um, when it comes to, so people who maybe aren't aware of their deeper moods, of what's happening to them on a physical realm. I love how you said they pop up and they go to their narrative, sex is just for procreation, or they may blame their partner, you want sex too much, I, you know, whatever. I think where we would slow it down is, is go into those micro moves, right? What happens right now as your partner says, I want to have more sex? Or what happens when your partner puts his hand on your leg and starts to try to, you know, gives you that signal, I want more than just to hold you in a non-sexual kind of way, right? <laughs> what what comes online? What moves on the inside? What perceptions do you have, right? I've, and I've had a lot of women who struggle with, well, I think maybe, I think this is just where their mind might go to. Maybe it's hormones. Maybe there's something physically wrong with me. But then they avoid going to the doctor to have a discussion about it and find out what could help them. They just completely shut down and avoid it, right? It's like, well, you know, my emotional attachment needs are met and we have a really positive relationship otherwise. So I don't see what, what's the big deal. So they make it not a big deal for them. And then they really dismiss their, the fact that it might be important to their partner and their partner's getting these rejection cues all around and they're not really seeing where their partner is at. That's right. And remember, they're not, you know, oftentimes what's happening is they're stuck in the reactive place with themselves and they're not seeing what's really going on for themselves. So if that's the case, why on earth would they be able to see what's going on for their partner? If they're pathologizing themselves in the underbelly, why wouldn't they be doing that with their partner? You're bringing up so many good points. So I want to just, I want to touch on two, two important things. One, because we're talking about stage one versus stage two. You know, as we de-escalate them, right, the helicopter is able to start landing and staying more. That's when, the, when we start to have deeper conversations around what we've identified in stage one. Mm -hmm. 
as they're able to start dropping into this place where they've often just, you know, held a barrier and not been able to explore with themselves, let alone with their partner, right? So this is where stage step five is kind of like that step three. Sorry to jump in on you. It's, you know, as we- Now we're in step five, that's right. Yeah, it's not only where, now we've built that presence, right? I love the metaphor of the helicopter. The helicopter is landing and it's able to stay more. Now we want to work on getting it to turn off the engine and let the people get out, right? We want to, we want to work on engagement, right? And I kind of think of it as that window of tolerance where we can tolerate it enough to be present. And that comes out of the end of stage one. Now we go much deeper and, and we have that platform of presence that we can expand the presence into something deeper of engagement where not only are they engaging with their partner but really i think step five has a lot to do with engaging with themselves right interest psychic work yes love how you say you know yeah if they're not able to see themselves they're not going to be able to see their partner that's always where the blocks to empathy come from because you have to be a resonant chamber to see somebody else, right? And if nothing's resonating, if, if it's closed, nothing's going through there, right? Just as we do emotionally, right? So we're helping them exactly like we would with stage two, step five for emotional, you know, for the emotional part with like the withdrawal, because we start with withdrawal re-engagement first, it would be, just like we would say, how would, how would it be to start to see yourself as someone with emotional and attachment needs and to be more present with your own needs and desires and longings emotionally? Now we're doing that sexually. What would it be like to see yourself as a sexual being, as somebody who has pleasures and, you know, to allow yourself to, to touch down to that area more deeply? Yeah, exactly. Right. So then as we move into the deeper stage two waters, that's where we really start helping folks understand how they're more organized, how they're organized sexually and the good reasons why they did get stuck. And, you know, remember, some people are organized pretty simply around sex. Some people, you know, they're just you know, they're doing their thing. It's very easy for them, like we were talking about earlier, it's very easy for them to turn to their domestic partner, the person they love and their sexual energy to come alive. Many people are not. Many people have an intricate set of bells and whistles that need to go off in order for their willingness window to to unlock and open and really allow that energy to come alive. And so once we've done that work, and now we're in, in step five, sexual withdrawal re-engagement, that's where you're doing that deeper, deeper intrapsychic work of really helping them feel into these places where they were really cut off before. And remember, as you're doing that, now you're giving your, their partner a window into, no wonder it was so hard for them. No wonder they stuck to this, this story, this narrative. They, had, they, they, they didn't know. They didn't know. And of course, that creates more empathy, right? I'm sorry. The pursuer softening, right? The pursuer starts to calm down in that place. Because remember, underneath that is like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with you? All of this. And then they start to calm down because they're now getting more of a window in to where their, you know, how their partner is, is organized around sex. And they can start to have more empathy as well for their partner to see, especially as they start to see that the shutdown, the withdrawal, isn't about their partner not wanting them or not loving them or being attracted to them. It's about some of their own stuff, right? Just as we do with the emotional world. Exactly. That's exactly right. So as we do this withdrawal re-engagement, sexual withdrawal re-engagement, sexual pursuer softening, you know, that's very exciting work because that's where you're really restructuring their capacity to turn to each other and learn about what goes on there. Now, this is important. So now we're moving to stage three, right? This is where you get to do the really awesome, interesting work around helping them 
really turn to each other and create that special place where they can become more sexual, where they can really learn about this is what's, you know, this is what gets me going and this is what gets you going. How do we, how do we find that place where, we, where, where both of our needs are met? You know, and they really start to, to partner together, right? We're always talking about with sex, you have to get the couple working as a team. Right. And that's why I feel EFT is so important. Barry McCarthy, who's a big, you know, a big sex therapist in the field, he's always talking about get the couple working as a team, you know, get them working as a team. And that's where I feel EFT comes in because once they're working as a team, now we really start to do the work of understanding how they're each wired and what they both need and they can create gratifying erotic connection. It's, 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 it's emotionally connected, but it's also erotic fulfillment, sexual fulfillment. Okay, this is, this is good because we haven't really talked much about step three or stage three, and actually I do need to do a video about this because <laughs> poor little stage three gets very neglected, and I, I think that- It's okay. true. Like we do stage one and stage two, we get to the end of stage two, Everything's working great. Okay, see you later, right? We don't really, you know. So what I hear you saying is that when it comes to sex in terms of stage two versus stage three, so this is after they've already been able to learn how to ask and bond, right? In this case, it would be sexual. Round sex, that's right, that's right. Or can see themselves as a sexual being, can see their partner as a sexual being, and now they can begin to engage more deeply and ask and bond in that way. And the pursuer can now ask for their sexual needs or, or closeness. I know we get in trouble, sexual needs, sexual desire, mm -hmm. their need to be close mm -hmm. and ask a softer kind of way, not a like, what's wrong with you kind of way. Um, so they've, they're learning to ask and bond and now they're using that ability, step eight, stage three, new solutions to old problems, right? I was going to say that. <laughs> yep, exactly. And this is where it's, it's really interesting how folks can come forward in ways that they were not previously able to do. I've worked with folks where, you know, I remember, I, this was a straight couple where, you know, he wanted more sexual play around like sort of the BDSM continuum. He wanted to bring in feathers. He wanted, you know, some hot wax, nothing too extreme, but he wanted more sexual play, but he knew his partner was organized, you know, very differently. And she, she would never send signals of being open to that. But once they were really bonded, she was more available to play in that way. It's why we, you know, we call sex a safe adventure. Once they're bonded in that place and they're no longer, you know, shooting, shooting, shooting arrows or bullets at each other, then why not give it a whirl, see what happens. And she's much more, you know, she was much more available to that. Yeah. So now, you know, what I hear you saying in terms of stage three, these new solutions are now that we can we're not so reactive around sex. We're not shooting bullets. We're also not running and ducking for cover in the safety of our cave. Right. Now we're able to see each other both as sexual beings. We're able to plug into our own desire and turn to each other and safely ask for that and bond in that way. Now we take that even a step further and say, now we can start experimenting and having adventure and we can coordinate that together because there's that safety of bonding. Mm -hmm. And I know it's in your hands and in your heart to do this. That's right. That's right. Uh, here, I'll give you another example of this. I worked with a gay couple where, um, you know, they were, uh, this is probably one of the most like beautiful couples I've ever worked with. This is like, you know, Chelsea, you know, I, you know, I work in New York city. So these guys that come in that are just, you know, they're, they've worked out of the gym. They're, you know, perfect body, perfect hair, perfect face, perfect job, perfect apartment, you know, all of this. And they came in at a vulnerable time because they were getting older. And the one, the, the one, one partner who, so much of his self-esteem was wrapped around being this, you know, sexual dynamo and he was getting older and, but he couldn't talk to his partner about, you know, all of how that was playing out in his body. 
And as we did the deeper work and he started coming forward with, you know, yeah, when we're having sex, my back aches now, my back aches, but I don't feel like I can, you know, I, it was all I could do. Not, I didn't want to show you that. So, but then of course you start hurting, you know, that kind of pain is not, <laughs> that's not hot. So then he would lose his erection and off we go. So as we started restructuring that, right? They were able to come forward and learn about, see, this is where you get into sex in, through the life cycle. They were able to learn about what sex, what gratifying sex is, is about for them now, but they got stuck. They got stuck for good reason, right? So I love, I love that. So I hear, and I think a lot of our couples go through that as they mm -hmm. try to hang on to the sex, what was gratifying sex for them when they were in their 20s That's and their right. old and you know I've had a lot of men who have struggled with testosterone levels dropping and that's been a really big problem for them and there's a lot of shame around that because they're mm -hmm. hanging on to what sex should be like as a 20 year old and, and society doesn't do our men justice in this they make them seem like well you should just like the energizer bunny you should just be able to keep going forever till you're in the grave right and so they <laughs> right they have all this shame. Like I can't keep going. My butt. Something else is happening with my body. And exactly. Whack. So helping exactly. them feel more safe and vulnerable. That their body is changing. That they're going to have to readjust what they can and can't do mm -hmm. to meet the the realities of their physical bodies. You know, especially if some have become maybe disabled or partially disabled. They're going to have, they can still have a gratifying sex life, but they're going to have to make some adjustments, but if they can't That's be vulnerable exactly. and talk about that, they won't ever be able to have those new solutions to old relationship problems. That's exactly right. I, uh, that's where, you know, I often bring in Brene Brown's work where she talks about how, you know, the primary, one of the primary vulnerabilities for women is body image and you know beauty and that's where they kind of get their power in the culture of course all generalizations being false but but that's where often they're getting their power and for men it's about you know their primary primary vulnerability is is about appearing weak and that certainly was the case in with my example that i just gave about this this gay couple so often as we age right remember sex is dependent on our physiology in a way that is not you know, that the emotional relational connection is not. So often there's deep vulnerabilities there. You know, one of the things when I was doing my sex, my sex therapy training that I, that I, you know, always try to talk about when we do these trainings is um, I didn't realize about my own bias about, about gratifying sexual connection. Uh, I had to watch as part of my training, I watched several uh, uh, videos of 80 year olds being having sex being sexual and you know these 80 year old bodies and these folks and it's so reflective of peggy kleinplatz's work around optimal sexualities sexuality these folks were they were enjoying themselves i mean they were they were they were having gratifying sex as a safe adventure they were really connecting and i remember it was so powerful for me because i had I didn't realize how I had equated, you know, hot sex or gratifying sex as the sex therapist, you know, um, as, you know, in like the younger body, in the body that we, we are culturally, you know, uh, attuned to think that that's the body, that's the mechanism for amazing sex. And so this is where it's important for us to all just be present for, you know, how, what we learned about sex, you know, the messages we received, we're, we're another, you know, we're the third person in the room, you know, and to really kind of open our hearts to our own experience of sex. Because if we don't, we, we, we can get stuck. We can get stuck. I love that. It's interesting. Senior citizens are actually the large, uh, fastest rising STD population in the United States. So clearly they're having some gratifying sex. And you do find this, you know, I've had um, folks come in for therapy where maybe one partner was in a home, but there's, you know, they're still trying to engage in gratifying sex and the kids are like, so against this, you know, oh, you know, that's, you shouldn't be doing that. And it's like, 
you know, so you can see their own bias coming up that, you know, Absolutely. sex has stopped. And, and I have seen this come up. I love that you mentioned that word biases. I see it pop up with, it's like a cultural bias or, or a message bias that we get by society. And I see that, I think that's one of the ways that it shows up for a lot of women is that, well, you know, you have your kids and, you know, sex, some, somewhere along the line, a few of my clients have gotten this message that you're supposed to stop having sex in your marriage and mm -hmm. sex marriages are normal. Everybody has them. So you don't need to worry about that. You don't need to fix it. Just that's right. Enjoy the fact that you don't have to work at it anymore. And that's right. That's right. And often there's a lot of vulnerability under there that they will not drop into because yes. they don't feel safe talking to their partner about it. So then the culture then propagates this, this message that it's okay, it's fine. You had sex to have kids, now your life is about the kids, mm -hmm. right? Yes. But, you know, for folks who really, really enjoy and, and appreciate and want gratifying sexual connection, that's not gonna work for them. Remember, the couples where both people have bought into that, they're, they're probably not going to land in your office or if they do when in a relational you know sense when you talk when you ask them about sex they're probably not going there's probably not going to be a lot of distress there now as you this is what's interesting as you sometimes as you create greater relational connection then one of them starts dropping into man i would like to i would like to experience this kind of closeness sexually with you again. Not always, but sometimes. And remember, we take our cue from our couple. Well, and what's funny is that, yeah, I have had, I love that you say um, not a lot of distress there because there are, you know, that was um, one of my couples was just like that, had this really positive relationship, but it was really positive on the surface. They were never stirring the pot and, and mm. they were able to get through 10 years of their marriage this way until they didn't, right? And one partner was reaching and asking for sex and the, the female was completely shut down and was getting reinforcements of this family friend saying, nope, don't worry, none of us have sex with our husbands, don't, don't even worry about it. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I hear this, I'm like, ah! What do I do, what do I do? Right. And it was, of course, it was quite accidental, but now it's like, oh, well, I guess maybe there was something to that, you know, yeah. when my was asking, you know, mm -hmm. and, and finding out that there are some shame messages like, oh, sex was really painful. And because it was painful, and then my friends were telling me I don't need to have sex, it became this whole way that I avoided it and I didn't. Mm -hmm. Was she able to come forward to, and tell her partner, look, sex is painful for me now. I'm not sure what's changed, but sex is painful. Was she able to, to let her partner know that? Has let him know that. They've actually both known that it was painful, but um, instead of having a conversation about what can we do to remedy that pain, it was just she completely shut down and became very unavailable. So now we are you know, tracking those messages. What happens when your partner reaches for you in an erotic way, right? Mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're kind of studying that erotic mind. Where, right. where's, where's the erotic heart in, in your guys' cycle, right? right? What are the messages, right. the moves, the vulnerability that comes up, the part of you that says, uh-oh, move away, move away, just like we would if we were just tracking their emotional cycle. It's, it's, it's like parallel. They're, they're just almost exactly the same except one is emotional one is is sexual but they're so tied right. even right. Us that we go through in unpacking this and working with it in stage one two or three is mm -hmm. exactly the same way right mm -hmm. just swap out if you're thinking like how will we track this if this is just their emotional cycle just swap emotional for sexual and you'll get it the same way right mm -hmm. all the same steps all the same moves all the same questions you would ask, what comes up for you right here, right now, right? When this happens, right? Tell me about your body. What did your body say? How does your body give you these cues that say, nope, nope, not gonna go there, shut down, right? right. And pain will often do that. Couple quick points about that. 
with you know pain during intercourse, what have you, if that you know is acquired versus lifelong, they may you know I would suggest them seeing a, a gynecologist who specializes in sexual health just to ensure, like just to see if there have been physiological physiological changes that that can occur. You know, the other piece that I work around with that is, you know, we're so you know the intercourse discourse where our culture tends to be so focused around intercourse is sex, and there's a lot of pleasure that can that can occur beyond the you know beyond intercourse and so pleasure is the measure again really helping folks you know come together what their sexuality is like because i i have a a couple um it's a double trauma couple actually but Mm -hmm. one of them had sexual trauma and also is um partially physically disabled so there's a lot of physical pain there and an inability to engage in actual intercourse so Mm. we've what other ways, you know, and this is key ways that I see vulnerability show up in sex is when I ask, can you even engage in sexual play involving your partner in the process, right? Because a a sexual relationship is about involving your partner in that process, Mm -hmm. whether it is directly through intercourse or something else, but can you guys make eye contact or allow your partner to see you orgasm? I found a lot of couples say, no, I turn away, I close my eyes. That's really vulnerable. And that's one of the ways that I study vulnerability in their sex life. That's beautiful. That's beautiful work. You know, with you mentioned earlier about these, these no-conflict couples. That doesn't necessarily, right? We know, we've learned. That doesn't necessarily mean they're securely bonded. In fact, if they can't fight, you know, it's not about the conflict. It's about the repair. You know, and these are, you know, they're two different people with two different realities and and life histories that live in those nervous systems. But often if they can't lean in to these places where they're so different, this is what, you know, we help folks differentiate in EFT all the time, right? We differentiate with, with each other, not from each other. But this is important with sex because we're different people. And how do we create this erotic feedback loop if we're, you know, if we're enmeshed? EFT is very helpful in helping folks, you know, lean into these places where they are so different. And this is a key piece with creating gratifying sex, creating this, this sexual, this, this, this erotic feedback loop that's so important with, you know, we talk about spontaneous versus responsive desire. That's so important in creating this responsive feedback loop that all of us with in long-term committed relationships where we can't depend on the newness of a new body, where vulnerability is, the stakes are high. How do we create this responsive feedback loop? So it's, it's so important. I'm glad, you, I'm glad you brought that up. I love that. I love that. So, so just to summarize before we wrap up. So with sex we're going to we're going to work with we can work with it in stage one of course we're always going to start with stage one we're going to map their sexual cycle what does it look like what are the moves what are the perceptions what happens just like you would in their emotional cycle right the way that we either move towards or move away and we're working on helping them be more present to tolerate both their partner's sexual world and and interact with their own self in a way that they can begin to see themselves as sexual. And then stage two, we're expanding that. We're going, it's like, it's like emotional presence on steroids. We're going into engagement. We start just like with the emotional cycle, withdrawal re-engagement, but I love how we call it sexual withdrawal re-engagement. <laughs> it's awesome. And this is where you really unpack those deeper parts, the view of self, view of others, you know, especially for people that have grown up with these scripts where they learned we don't use sex to bond and yes maybe I've been able to have pleasure with sex but it's not important because you know I've got all my bonding needs met and so sex is like out the window right but there's still a partner there who's seeing them as sexual and wants to be sexual and there's still a part of them moving away from that and saying no I don't think that's for me so we're going to go really deeper into that and help them engage with their own inner world to see themselves as a sexual being, mm. allow them to start dialing into their own desires mm. and their partners. And we're gonna help them see and accept, you know, themselves and their partner, 
step uh -huh. six. <laughs> and ask and bond in a sexual way. Uh -huh. Same thing with pursuer softening. Help them start to ask, you know, see and accept where their partner is at um, and what the shutdown has been around. That it's not necessarily about I'm not lovable. They don't want to be with me. They're rejecting me. But it's, you know, something inside of them. But also to be able to turn and ask for their sexual needs without jumping to what's wrong with you. Maybe you need to go to the doctor, you know, that kind of thing. Right. And we're going to help them turn to each other and start bonding in a sexual way. And when they're able to start doing that, we do stage three. I love you're you're the first one to really paint anything into stage three. So this is just absolutely terrific. So stage three, ding, new solutions to old relationship problems. Right. Where now that we can bond, we can be vulnerable, we can be in touch with our own sexual desires, and we can tune and turn and ask for those with our partner. Now what used to be like a boring, ungratifying sex life, now we can start engaging and experimenting and adventuring together that we have that vulnerability and that safety to do that. That's right, that's right. And we, can, we, we like you were saying, right, we open to our own intersexual world and we can turn and share and we can open our hearts, minds, and bodies to our partner's intersexual world. And we can lean in and turn toward that. And from that place, that's where we create this responsive feedback loop that's, that's so gratifying. Yeah, and I like that because we wanna find out through this process, are they really engaging with their, because their body is linked to their emotions. And some people in order to have even like uh, romantic relationships or regular relationships, they have to detach emotionally from their own world so they can engage. But you find that their relationships don't tend to get very deep or they're coming into couples therapy because their partner says, I can't get them to open up to me, right? Uh, Same thing with sexuality, right? Are they engaging, have they engaged in sex from a very detached place, which makes it hard for them to, again, see their own uh, inner world, see their own vulnerability, be with their partner's vulnerability. And we want to help them integrate and connect emotionally to their own body, to their own vulnerability that occurs through sex. And use that, turn it, reshape it, right? Reshape it from a scary place to an exciting and adventurous place, right? Where in that vulnerability, new and exciting and wonderful, awesome things can happen right? Versus scary things in the past, right? That's part of that reshaping that bond. So that's going to be really exciting. And, and Michael, I just so appreciate you being here and talking to us about this. And my mind is already buzzing with some more topics along sex that we could talk about, which is super exciting. So now tell us where folks can find you. Can they contact you for supervision, for workshops? Tell us what you've got. Sure. Well, you know, Zoe and I are, you know, we're currently on the road doing our Sex is Safe Adventure workshop. We just, uh, we just uh, did uh, that workshop in Denver. Um, and now we have a little bit of a break. Of course, Zoya never has a break. She's always on the road. Um, but we have, uh, we're going to be doing it again in Oslo, Norway, and then Stockholm. Um, and we, I think we have some other, I think we're, we're going to be doing it in Seattle next year. So, you know, those, those workshops are always kind of getting planned. Um, and you'll hear about them on the listserv and, and what have you. Um, as far as myself, you can, uh, contact me at Mike at fulfilled couples, plural, Mike at fulfilled couples.com. And, um, yes, I'm available for, for you know, individual supervision or consults around sex or, you know, what have you. So I, I love deepening. I love addressing and working with sex through the EFT model. I think it's, it's very effective. That's amazing. And of course, if folks are interested in having you come to their area, having you and Zoya come do an EFT training on sex as a safe adventure, all they have to do is send you guys an email and you guys will coordinate and you guys are available to do that, which is terrific, guys. So definitely look them up. If you haven't had Sex is a Safe Adventure in your area, absolutely have Mike and Zoya come out and do their training. It's fantastic. And, you know, there are a lot of the EFT therapists out there who are looking for more supervision and more training around sex therapy. A lot of folks are looking to get that certification as a sex therapist. Mike is your guy. 
He is absolutely wonderful and phenomenal. And I'm going to put the links to your information in the description for this video. So just thank you so much again, Michael. This has just been fulfilling for me and I, and I hope for our viewers as well. Oh, well, thank you, Annabelle. This is, it's always, you know, you always, you're, it's always an engaging conversation with you. I, I, I can see the, the, the synapses firing as, as I talk and then you, you give me great feedback. So it's always really gratifying to just talk with you about this, unpack it all with you. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you again so much, Mike. And thank you to our viewers, guys. Thanks for subscribing and watching and for all of your feedback. And I'm always welcome to more topics if you guys have ideas, but just make sure in the meantime, guys, that if you haven't hit subscribe, that you do so now because more videos are on the way.